ready. Welcome to episode 40 of the Go Get'em Agility podcast. My name is Margaret Hughes and I'm your host. Uh, today I am talking to you about goals because it's almost New Year's. It's almost 2024 and a lot of discussion has been going on about goals for 2024, uh, people qualifying for different national or international events in agility. And so I wanted to take this time to talk to you about my thoughts about goals and setting goals or having goals, not having goals. So when I was growing up, my parents, you know, always asked the, the question right around New Year's, what's your New Year's resolution? And me and my brother and sister always set a New Year's resolution. And then I would say we forgot about it right around week two, week three of the new year. And so I never had long-term goals that I remember setting as a kid. And one of the things that that I've been hearing lately in the dog world, in the dog agility world, is, you know, set your goals, get your notepad out, write down your goals, are they attainable? Um, and to train your dog, your agility dog, with these goals in mind. And I think that's all well and good. And I, and I do set goals for myself. But one of the biggest things that I find is that goals, because sometimes they're set to have an end, end game of either trialing with your dog or going to nationals or, um, you know, that uh, debuting your dog, is that sometimes we get caught up in the goal of trialing, of debuting, of making a national event, and everything kind of goes sideways trying to get there. And so I wanted to talk about not setting goals, <laughs> about not having a New Year's resolution, and to be okay with that. So there are lots of different types of goals out there and everybody calls them kind of something slightly different. So uh, process goals, micro goals, performance goals, short-term goals, long-term goals, lifetime goals. Uh, some people even break them down into daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, year-long goals. And so it, it can sometimes be overwhelming and sometimes when you're doing dog agility, you don't even know what the end goal is necessarily because you don't know that much about dog agility. Or if you do know a lot about dog agility, you don't always know how to get there. And so what I think is important in dog agility is to have a basic goal in mind and then to not worry if things go sideways trying to get there. One of the biggest things that I find is that dogs throw us curveballs all the time. So we have this great idea of, I'm gonna go to my agility training area and work on X, Y, Z. And you get out there and the dog says, I don't, wanna, I don't even wanna do that. And we have to learn very quickly how to recognize when the dog isn't in the game and to change the game so that the dog 
is a willing participant. So that is job number one, is, is build your relationship with your dog daily. Daily, because every day that the relationship is not being built, it may be eroding, and we definitely don't want it to erode. So some dogs are really good at taking the training that we're throwing at them and not always getting it right and coming back and trying again and trying again and trying again. And other dogs say, I am done trying and I'm going to go sniff. I'm going to yawn. I'm going to not do, I'm going to do anything but come back and work with you. So in agility, we are asking our dogs to do some pretty difficult stuff. And so I think it's important that one one of our goals, everybody's goal, all right, I am into goals, everybody's goal should be to recognize when dogs are stressing. And if you have not read uh, Truid Rugas's Calming Signals, I think that's how you pronounce her name, uh, the book is called Calming Signals, or On Talking Terms with Dogs, Calming Signals, by Truid Rugas read up on any of her calming signals online or any of her videos about calming signals, I really encourage you to learn what dogs throw at us as what are called calming signals. And a calming signal, it's just a term that Druid put out there, but it's, it's a way that dogs show us that they're stressing. And sometimes some dogs stress harder than other dogs, some dogs stress to the point where they check out. Other dogs, some dogs stress up and get really excited and bitey. Other dogs stress down and start sniffing and yawning. And even high stress dogs can, can yawn and sniff. But it, I think it's really important for us to recognize when our dogs are getting stressed because dogs throw us these signals all the time. And if we're paying attention, then we can modify our training to help them stay in the game so that our goals can be met. Because remember that dogs don't have these goals like we do. Their only goal is to get rewarded or at the bare minimum, not get in trouble. So dogs do not like to get in trouble. They work on a very um, honest basis generally of Reward me, I'll do it again. Reward me, I'll do it again. And if they start to get punished, they'll try to work hard to avoid that punishment. But my, I encourage you to work agility without punishment. A no reward marker, I do mark that, but I definitely don't punish my dog for not doing anything related to agility. I, I don't punish my dog, period, but especially during agility. Uh, so look at the stressors and then try and work towards them stressing less and less. Or if they are stressing, being resilient to that and trying to build them up to um, an attainable uh, training process that you're doing or an attainable training uh, behavior that you're asking them to do. So let me just start with uh, some of the, the SMART goals. So the, there's a thing out there called SMART goals, which stands for specific, measurable, uh, attainable, or also called achievable, uh, relevant, and time-based. So SMART, S-M-A-R-T, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-based. So let me start with 
specific goal in and I'm talking specifically agility so there's different things that I think people should focus on for agility training regardless of where their level is at so the first one is you have specific obstacle training so uh, you know eventually over time the dog needs to learn every single obstacle and then on the for the handler the handler has to learn every single side change or your 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 crosses and your turns so your rear cross your front cross your blind cross and then your two turns are your push turn and your pull turn the pull turn is also um, some people call it a post turn so you have the dog learning the specific obstacles then you have the handlers learning their crosses and their turns and then the handler also needs to learn how those crosses and turns affect the dog and what the dog what their specific dog likes or doesn't like as far as how much they've trained them so teaching the crosses and the turns also involves the dog <laughs> the dog doesn't know necessarily the turns but they have to learn the turns within the handler's handling ability and so training the dogs to understand those crosses and turns also then comes down to the types of recalls that you've taught so collection recall extension recall or backup recall and learning how to come into you to converge with the handler when you're doing a front cross or when you're doing a blind cross or when you're uh, a rear cross would be divergence right so the dog going in front of you and away from you and so the dog learning the crosses within the recalls I think should be the basis of all training and then you add the specific obstacles within those so take every obstacle that you have and work your crosses and your turns around and your recalls working your recalls and then also your sends so sending your dog away in front of you which would be a go sending your dog laterally away from you which would be an out um so your recalls coming into you your sends going away from you all of that within all of your specific obstacles and how far you want to take it is a direct correlation of how much you want to train some people love training I love training I love watching a dog grow from knowing nothing to learning something to learning something more to learning other things that we can combine together you know so it starts on a cone goes to a jump stanchion goes to two jump stanchions goes to three jump stanchions and so that you build out this layers of uh, onions I guess <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it as, as Shrek said uh, he, he's complicated he has many layers agility is complicated it has many layers of training around it and each obstacle has all of those layers all the recalls 
all the sends, so sending to an obstacle, recalling off of an obstacle, and then all of your crosses within that, threaded throughout that. So if you're struggling with what to train, my suggestion is train anything within your crosses, your recalls, and your sends, and work on them one at a time. Uh, so I don't necessarily go every day and work something. I bounce around from this skill to this skill to this skill. But I also know that if I want a really good dog walk, then I also have to have really good understanding of working on a 12-inch plank, right? So it starts on the ground and getting my dog just to accept and understand that he can move and stop quickly on a 12-inch plank. That when he does do that, so, you know, think about your, your teeter. Um, so doing a stopped contact on a teeter, he has to come in quickly, work on something that's moving, handle noise, and I want him to handle me in front of him next to him, behind him. I want him to be able to handle the teeter with other people around, so distractions. And so taking the end behavior of the teeter, you ha I wanna start it on the ground, on the flat, with just him learning how to be in heel position next to me, because that's the position he's gonna take on this teeter and building him up slowly to accept things that move, building him up slowly to accept things that make noise, building him up slowly to running along a 12-inch plank, so not even moving, right? Can he just move along a plank that doesn't move? And then adding movement off of the plank. You know, I used a wobble board. He was on, he was on several wobble boards for sure. Um, just a lot of small goals that happened once a week, twice a week, three times a week. It, it really depended on what I wanted to work on. Everything that I work on throughout the week is really dependent on the weather, my time availability, what I already have set up either at the arena that I attend or in my backyard. Sometimes I build stuff up specifically for an exercise, but a lot of times I go out there and I'm like, all right, this is already set up. I'm going to work on, on whatever's already set up. As far as your obstacles go, I always think about the three Ds. And the three Ds, and this goes back to just basic obedience training. Anytime that we are working on stays or um, come or anything, <laughs> um, we were working within the three Ds, distraction, duration, and distance. And so of, of the obstacles that we're working on in agility, how much distance do I wanna train? How much distraction do I wanna train? How much duration can I train for minimal reward, right? So in the beginning, it was small, 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 little behaviors for lots and lots and lots of cookies. And now, a year later, 
Eli's able to go for more for less. Although I try, I do use a heck of a lot of cookies still with him, and I always will. I will build up to being able to handle an 18, 20 piece course for one reward at the very end or a handful of jackpot of rewards at the very end. But when I'm in training, it's pretty rare, especially at this stage, for me to do huge courses, you know, and that's all I do. So there's lots of micro training um, or small sequence training more often than there is big coursework. Let's talk about the SMART goals within the context of agility. Specific, specific behaviors. There are a lot of behaviors to choose from. Pick one every day. Pick one or, you know, five days a week. Pick one behavior to train in one training session. And then the next day, pick something else. And the next day, pick something else. And then go back to what you did on day one. Bounce around and build up each one of your training behaviors that you want over time. So you don't have to do stays five days a week. You can do stays on day one and then work on your dog walk. And on day three, work on handling moves. And on day five, work on sit stays plus the dog walk because you need a lead out or whatever. Um, pick one thing to focus on within one training session and then do that multiple days a week something different every day or every other day or just you don't have to hone in on I'm going to do weeds every day for the next five days you can bounce around and put other things in between the weed pulls and you may need a stay for the weed pulls you may need a stay to work a lead out on jumps so work your stays first then put it into your jumps. And one thing builds on the next thing. Pick one behavior, specific behavior, and train towards that. And there's lots to choose from. You can choose an obstacle. You can choose a handling move with maybe one obstacle or, or even on the flat. So on the flat is without obstacles. You can train your start lines. You can train your end behaviors, make it measurable. And measurable would, in my world, is right around an 80% success rate. So when I go out to train something, I work towards 80%. And I have a specific time limit or a handful of cookies that I go through for the most part. There's times when I've done very, very short sessions, as short as two minutes. And then there's other times when I've done longer sessions, mainly because I'm, I'm not figuring out how to get the understanding for Eli to understand. So when I go long training sessions, it's usually something on my part that I haven't figured out how to make it easier for him. And so if I find myself going too long, generally that means I need to, to take a break, go back into the house and rethink how I approach it. Uh, but in general, my measurable goal every time that I train is an 80% correct answer rate 
which means I'm setting up the scenario for Eli to get it right 80% uh, of the time. And then I train usually right around five minutes on average, five, five minutes, maybe upwards of seven minutes. But generally speaking, with breaks in between there, with plays in between reps, um, I'm doing five, maximum 10 minutes. And that is with play involved in that 10 minutes. Uh, attainable, also once again, 80% correct answers on Eli's part. I know that whatever I'm asking him to do, he's done, uh, he, he has the ability to get 80% correct, either by me making it, um, building up building blocks for him, so not asking him to grab something right out of the gate for the most part. Um, so attainable is 80% correct answer. Relevant, this is a good one. So relevant, so what are you struggling with the most? Start there. What is the last reasons that you NQ'd in a trial? Start there. Uh, are, you, are they bar knocking? Work on your jumping. Are they refusing to take a jump? Work on your commitment or value for whatever obstacle that they're not, uh, that they're refusing on. Relevant in my world would mean either something that I want or something that I need to get to a further goal. So if my goal is to do the dog walk, then my dog has to have the beginning goals of understanding how to walk on 12 inch planks. And then time-based, time-based. I think this is, the, I think time-based, I personally would go five to 10 minutes. That's my goal every time that I train is five to 10 minutes. If we start looking at weekly goals, monthly goals, uh, six months, one year, if we start putting timelines on our dogs for what we want to achieve, I think this is where the problems and the frustration for handlers starts to happen is they have in, 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 in our head, I want to qualify for whatever it is, a local trial, a national trial, or qualify you know, out of novice. If you have a time-based goal, you are putting expectations on your dog that they may not be able to meet because you haven't trained them the smaller goals or the smaller behaviors that should be included in that time-based goal. And so when you go out to train, pick one thing and try and get to that 80% success rate. And if you're not getting the 80% success rate, go back into the house do a little more research, a little bit more reading, a little bit more talking to your instructor. How can I get to my 80% success rate? And don't put your timetable goal on your dog. Let your dog tell you when they're ready. Let your dog give you the information that, yeah, I can do this on multiple obstacles. I can do this under multiple distractions. I can do this with more distance, with less distance, 
with more duration, with more distraction, let your dog tell you, listen to your dog, watch your dog. They are going to give you information. And if you really want to up your game, videotape yourself and then go back and edit it. Go back and edit it and watch it and observe your dog in between your reps. What does your dog do when you go to reset? What does your dog do when you say we're done? What does your dog do when you're asking for a behavior that may be a little bit above their pay grade? What does your dog do when you turn away from them? Because that is when they start telling you how they're really feeling about the game. So my specific goals for 2024 is to just keep training. Every day or every couple of days, train my dog something new or something building on what we've already started and building up from that. You want to see if you're reaching your goal. Measure what you started six months ago and where you are today. Or measure what you started a year ago and where you are today. That is how, to, that is how I like to see my goals being achieved is yes I set out to train Eli for 52 weeks and I did that and I videotaped every single training session or 95% maybe 98% of our training sessions I videotaped and the progress that I've seen over the last year has been incredible and that I think is a better way to measure a goal than to set out today and to say that this is where I want to be in a year from now. Because quite honestly, when I did that, when I set out goal in front of me, life happened. Life is what happens when I was making other plans. Thank you, John Lennon. I think that goals are better achieved by just doing it. Just, just get out there and train your dog. You'll just have a better dog regardless if you ever achieve any of your agility goals. You'll have a better dog. You'll have a better relationship. You'll have more fun with your dog knowing silly little tricks that can make you laugh than to set out and say, I'm going to achieve this big goal this year. Just enjoy the process. Enjoy the the time that you have with your dog and see what you can achieve over six months, over a year. It may be beyond what you ever thought you could achieve. So happy new year. Train your dogs for distance, duration, distraction on all of your obstacles with sends, with recalls, with all of your crosses and your turns at the on the takeoff side of an obstacle and on the landing side of an obstacle work all of your side changes all of your turns all of your recalls all of your convergence all your divergence distance distraction duration and have fun have fun and know that whatever your dog is throwing at you today if you want 
it to improve, if you want something different than what you're getting right now, you, the handler, have to put in the time and the effort to figure out how to teach your dog that doesn't know English how to do it. And there's lots of information out there. Break it down to small, attainable five-minute sessions and see where you go. See where you go. Have fun. Woof, woof. Ready.